Nightcaps of the Living Dead. Get out of here, part two. everybody thanks for coming back to to get out part two this is what we're doing and g has a big reveal and let's just get right into it because this movie is amazing and multi-layered and we just gotta delve into it yes so um as we all know this movie is about racism right mm-hmm. but i this time i'm watching it halfway through the movie i came to this realization is not just about racism it's actually about whiteness Mm-hmm. Um, and whiteness, not as a color, meaning the color of your skin, um, but as a as what it is to be white. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because it's coming from a black filmmaker's perspective, they're really trying to understand the other side, mm-hmm. right? They're they're black. They've had these experiences as oppressed people. So they're like, what are, what are these white people all about? And why are they doing this to us? And why do they keep doing this to us despite all the progressive things that have happened in our history? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the lines that resonated with that was um, when, I think it was Georgina who said this, who says, oh, they treat us like family, which is an ironic line because you find out that they're actually family because they're the grandparents. Yes, right? so They're yes. actually white people inhabiting black bodies. Uh-huh. Um, but it also has that dimension of like, well, they, you know, they, but you're saying that they treat us like family. It's like you're implying that they don't see you the same way. It's like it has all these dimensions. It has that plot dimension, mm-hmm. right? They're yeah, actually family, but the sense of like, oh, you know, they're really nice to us. <laughs> but that, that already implies a divide, a strange disconnect. Yes. Something is not right, right? Uh, also, I um, really appreciate your perspective of this so far because you are neither of these races. And mm-hmm. and you're coming into this of like with with such a perspective that I I find I guess I'm yeah, really I'm outside unique. of both. Yeah. Right? In a way as as a Latino. Yeah. I guess we have both well, white, Spanish and uh-huh. African American and native native islander. Uh-huh. The Puerto Ricans are a mixture of three different races, which uh-huh. are the native indigenous people who inhabited the island of Puerto Rico before the colonizers, the mm-hmm. white colonizers, showed up and brought in the slaves. So okay, the Hamilton, we get it. <laughs> Yay! I'm going to point out that G is sucking down a Cabernet now. I'm still insider. Mm-hmm. And it's a very good Cabernet. Mm-hmm. So I think the the thing that the movie is trying to reflect on whiteness is this sense of vacantness. There's this, there's this theme of vacantness in the movie. It's vacant. Well, first you feed Georgina and um, I forget what the other guy is, the guy who's actually the grandfather, the other mm-hmm. the uh, gardener. black, mm-hmm. the gardener. Is the fact that to Daniel, they seem very vacant and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? They're not acting the way they're supposed yeah, to. They're not acting very out. black, right? Mm. So what you eventually realize is that they're actually, I mean, she's a genius of these actors who is, they're white people. Mm-hmm. So they're white people with black bodies, but then there's something wrong with them. So you get to see whiteness without the skin, without the whiteness, right? right? So right. it's just the, the acting, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, acting within the acting so these are supposed to be two white elderly people right if you forget mm-hmm. the fact that they're in the in the black body and there's right. something vacant about them there's a lack of death and that's the scary part of the film there's something vacant about the white people mm-hmm. and so and i went with that i was like okay they're scary not because they're black or because they're not acting black because there's something like not quite there. And I know the movie plays Mm -hmm. the movie plays with the idea that the other person is still in there sometimes. Right. The the oppressed person, like in the sunken place, like the right. Um, But there's something about the white characters in the movie that they feel like they're pretending they're shells. Even Allison, um, our lead female character, 
one of the things I noticed is she's constantly asking um, Chris about his feelings or what he's thinking. She's mm-hmm. like, what are you, are you okay? Well, how are yeah. you feeling? Yeah. And so I get this kind of sense that the white characters are seeking some sort of death that they lack. There's a vacantness to them. There's a lack of For deepness. sure. I, I feel um, that this, um, watching this with 2020 vision, um, I, I was on this train of thought the first time I saw that. I'm just like, okay, they're vapid. They, they don't really, they're not acting what we as a society stereotypically would think that these characters would act like. So that is what makes the audience go, hmm, something's not right. But ultimately with the 2020 eyes, I thought this is what it means to not fully understand a culture to mm-hmm. you can align with it, but you don't, you will never know. Like I will never know what it's like to, you know, face all this discrimination. I will never know. Exactly. I, exactly. Yeah. And and so I saw that this time around and it, it made me pause more. And I, I really feel enlightened another time seeing this movie. So going along with that, what I realized this time, and I'm getting to that big reveal, is that this movie is not just about um, appropriating the physical prowess of being African-American, you mm-hmm. know, the stereotypical muscles, good in sports, also so forth. Um, when I first saw it, I thought this movie was about the possession of the bodies. But mm-hmm. what I saw this time is that these characters actually seek the death of the African American experience, which is something they could never actually yeah. have mm-hmm. because they have not experienced it. So. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's a main theme in the movie is this pain and trauma that Chris has gone through as a result of of his mother's death, Mm -hmm. right? It's a trauma that he lives with. This is what the deer scene is really about, is that his mom was killed by, I think it was like a um, hit and run accident. Yeah, and then she lay dying by the side of the road. And because people don't care about black people dying in any sense she of the would, form like nobody found her and and he felt guilty because he was at home watching tv, watching TV and he and was a kid was and he didn't know it seems like Catherine, and by Catherine, i mean Catherine keener mm-hmm. um I, I forget what her name is in the movie we should remember her character's name more often no um, i'm gonna honor the actors oh, we love we love <laughs> honoring the performances because we're filmmakers so that's why we always refer to everyone by their acting mm-hmm. their real actor's name she seems to be interested in his powerlessness upon when his mother died. Mm-hmm. So the sense of powerlessness that he felt is what she kind of talks about in that tea scene. Right. He was watching TV. She was bleeding by the side of the road like the deer that we mm-hmm. saw earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's having this deep emotional experience related to the guilt about his mother's death. And she is trying to appropriate that in that scene mm-hmm. in, the, in the tea scene well it's, it's gaslighting so. at its finest and and that's why it really pisses me off when people debate this movie kind of like how we have with jawbreaker of is it a black comedy versus a horror a lot of people say is this a horror or a thriller and it's like no bitch this is a documentary <laughs> like this is, <laughs> this is happening and this is exactly this is it <laughs> It, I, our lie their lives right to me it really shows what kind of uh audience member and slash person someone is if they call this a thriller it's like no it's horrific and so many there are so many different elements of horror i mean besides the classic definitions but the societal subtext um the jump scares the tension the tension that we feel with the main character the empathy that we are just aligned with immediately the the music i mean it's hands down and the I sci-fi experiments that happen it is a horror movie it's okay here's the thing and i'm gonna put the lid on this debate the people who say it's a thriller are being a little bit racist because thrillers operate on a very different from horror movies thrillers operate on the idea that you're trying to figure out what's really happening with the plot who's the killer What's going on? It's a very cerebral genre. Mm-hmm. Horror is a very visceral genre. You connect with the main character. You think they're in danger. You're in danger with them. And this movie completely operates in that regard. Um, Daniel Kaluuya is the final girl. Uh-huh. He is Laurie Strode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
entering a situation of danger that he can't get out of and that he must get out of at the end of the movie and he's the one who survives at the end of the movie he's the final girl Mm -hmm. which is another kind of groundbreaking brilliant thing about this movie we usually don't even have male final girls only Nightmare on Street 2 Scream Queen Mm -hmm. Um, here we have a black man as the final girl which is so astounding Mm -hmm. when you think about it Mm -hmm. so this is a horror movie, not a thriller. Thank a thriller, you. A That's thriller, from a PhD, a th- y'all. So he said it's a horror. A thriller implies a detachment from the narrative. You're like trying to put a puzzle together. You're hmm. like thinking, okay, what's happening? Where does this fit in there? Thrillers don't necessarily make the audience member connect in an emotional or visceral level. Hmm. Horror implies the person's in danger. I'm empathizing with them. I'm in danger right. as well. Yes, And so it feels like it's happening to you. This is what Halloween does. This is what Scream does. This is what all good horror movies do. Um, so, no, not a thriller. Boom. <laughs> Love it. Um, so we're talking about Catherine gaslighting. Um, yeah, so when she's in that scene. So this time I really read the film beyond the surface of just being an allegory for racism. Right, which we knew when we first saw it. Mm-hmm. There's this sense of surface depth, shallow, deep, and they place the the actual movie plays with this, like mm-hmm. cinematic, cinematographically. Um, so, in my two twenty revision, is to look past the film as just being a about racial oppression and cultural appropriation, which we clearly see. Right, they're appropriating the black bodies. Um, it's really, to me, it was really about appropriating the black experience from a, a, as a deep experience. Mm-hmm. And this is why everyone loves black music, right? Rap, hip hop. It's the number one of the billboards every fucking week. Mm-hmm. How come a racist country keeps putting their black artists on a pedestal. What's going on here? Like they love their Cardi B and Nicki Minaj. Because it's the same. It's the same time honored tradition of make black people perform and not pay them or honor them accordingly. Exactly. So (laughs) I just feel like it's a system that is designed to fail, uh, to fail its people. I mean, it's you. Wait, 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 wait for it. Wait for it. All right. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. We know that they love celebrating black actors, black performers, especially music. Mm-hmm. You see this much more often. It's starting now to, well, in acting, we have problems. Halle Berry God. is still the only woman ever who ever won an Oscar mm-hmm. for Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it took how long for Denzel to get an Oscar? I mean, come exactly. On. And Spike Lately, it's, it's problematic. It's super problematic. But I think uh, white people gravitate towards black music and rap and all mm-hmm. of this because it reflects a deep human experience, a very honest experience. Mm-hmm. People love, I mean, the number one music song right now is WAP by Cardi B. What's and um, what's their name? The, the Her collaborator. Megan is it the Do- Stallion. Megan Stallion. Megan the Stallion. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Which I know but, if, if COVID wasn't happening, I know that you would be like at Mickey's going like wop, wop, wop. Like you would be so. <laughs> I could see you just dancing and grinding on the floor. You know you would do it. <laughs> but why? how come this supposedly conservative racist society mm-hmm. puts that song at the number one? It's because they love the fact that these black artists are being honest mm-hmm. with not only their sexuality, but their experience as black people. But it's like, it's like what you pointed out. It's attractive. Yes. It's what you pointed out earlier of, of the older generation kind of, um, inhabiting these bodies void of culture. Like, yes, you can be an interesting white person, but you're never going to have the struggle and pain that, you know, a black person would have or a suppressed minority or a gay person. Like you, you are not going to have that experience. You can have your own pain in your own story, but it's just not going to be, you know, in comparison with these stories. And I feel for that reason, I do think that 
you know, um, I told you I went to like a pretty much white elementary school and then switched over mm-hmm. to a, a predominantly black one. And I saw the difference right away. And of course, you saw the white kids either went to like country land or they went to rap land. And I saw the racism that divided, you know, amongst that. And I think people are trying to find their identities when they're younger. And I think like you get an instant personality when you're like, oh, here's this class of people that struggled and they're trying to tell their truth and their story. And this is so interesting. Exactly. And they try to align with that. I mean, I tell people all the time, I am from Otis Reddingtown. I am from Little Richard Town. Like these predominant, amazing black artists were my hometown heroes and I respect them and I know their entire discography. I mean, I love them so much. And I do credit that as as generations of suffering breeds creativity. It sucks, it's horrible, but here you have the worst shit scenario and, and some beautiful art and music came out of it. And I do feel like there's like a little jelly jelly White people being like, well, let's celebrate it. We're, we want in on the battle. We want in on this. We want to wrap this. We want to do this. And then fine, go for it. But it's not your story. It's not your thing. Exactly. You're a tourist. So <laughs> a lot of what's going on in this movie, and I will get to it to the full point, mm-hmm. because the full point is tied to the conclusion of the movie, mm-hmm. um, is the fact that there's a jealousy about the experience of African-Americans which is so, so fucked je- up. Which is so fucked up, so right? So fucked like, up. Jealousy like, of the suffering have, that we imposed upon them. Like, good God. Your jealousy of, of the <sighs> art and the depth that has come out of the fact that we have oppressed you for so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like mind-blowing. But I we'll know. get to it. I know. It's mind-blowing. And that's the irony of the movie. Mm-hmm. The white people want to be black, mm-hmm. right? But we'll get to that. Yeah. Before we get there, I have some points here. Okay. Um... One of the things that I forgot in the rewatch that I realized in the rewatch was that um, Georgina, who, who Georgina really was, not the grandmother, mm-hmm. was a lesbian. So there's a, a queer character in the movie. Why do you think she was lesbian? The, no, no, because the picture. I thought she was just her friend. No, no, no. Georgina in. Wait. So Georgina is the maid. Yeah. Right. Betty Gabriel. Yeah. Betty Gabriel. So you see. You know how she lures all the men? Yes. The picture Alex, that In that she reveal, finds. like, you know, Daniel's going through all of her pictures and it's like her kill box. Uh, and at first as an audience member, you're like, oh, she's just like into black dudes. That's her her type. And you're going through it. Oh, she's And she's then you realize. Yeah, Georgina in there. But so Georgina, I, she's, I, I never was, got she that her. she was a, you know, I think this is interesting. I mean, you're a, a gay man. Ah. So this is your, you're also a gay communist. No, because she's, just she's, you luring, as a she's luring the people, the men in there. But as if a you're partners. friends with a girl, you're going to be like, come up to my, my friend's house or come up to my parents' oh, house. Oh, you that yes, way. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I was did. like, oh, poor girl, black lesbian got suckered into this. <laughs> I, <laughs> a white girlfriend. <laughs> Oh my god! I mean, you might be right. I might have, but I—I I mean, by association, the fact that, that is all the men so were her funny that you read it that way. But I mean, no, you—you you are all, a gay right, man, right. so it's, it's an interesting interpretation. Are you sure the picture was not suggestive? No. I didn't Maybe think so. It was like taken Denise in a bathroom. In oh my god! <laughs> it was taken in a bathroom. It was like a selfie. I don't know. I have so many pictures of of like me and Kate and Melissa. I'm like the way that we're posed in this weird hotel room, or like we we've taken hot tub baths in our swimsuits and like drunk together like just stupid girl stuff like it's kind of a sister vibe i don't know i i honestly read that as like she was her friend she trusted her and how fucking dare she like honestly interesting okay huh. so I mean, immediately i went lesbian like she played a lesbian role i mean i don't know this could be maybe, me this maybe. could be me projecting this could be me projecting because i was trying to because i hate allison williams's character and i'm not the biggest allison williams fan in general the casting is great though because she is very white bread connecticut seems like she never had a fucking problem and in her life be, except for eating girls I don't know. she's like new york right yeah because she was in the show girls. yeah and and um, i I honestly was trying to watch this objectively thinking, okay, you know, there's, there's elements of white feminism that I should address in myself and my own life going forward and how I can be a better person and all this. And, and I honestly saw it it was her friend. I thought that she betrayed her friend. That's what I I have my token black friend. I'm going to bring her home. Exactly. That kind of thing. Okay. Okay. I see it. I see it. I totally made it a lesbian thing. (laughs) I, 
Could also be true. Too many goddamn housewives. Too many fucking housewives for you, Gary. Um, so let's get to this coagula scene. This is when they, <gasps> the, the, the PSA that. Um, well, okay. Well, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Before we get to that, I okay. want to talk about Lakeith Stanfield, who plays yes. Andre. Um, he's there. Who's our Drew Barrymore in of this movie because he's <laughs> he, the opening sequence and abducted the first victim, and he's at the garden party, and then they go to you know uh, the lake, and they have that moment where he reveals to Allison Williams, you know, like everything about his mom, and we we get a deeper layer to his character of why he's traumatized mm-hmm. because otherwise he'd be like i'm gonna get the fuck out of here things are not as they seem my instincts are keep are kicking in let's get out so i want to say like he his he's another person i'm just like why don't i see him in everything his performance he's in the trailer people remember him and betty the most from this movie like, and also Little Rel. Little Rel is so funny as the TSA agent solving his mysteries Columbo style. He's so funny and great and improvised a lot of his lines. But um, Lakeith, his performance from the opening scene, you forget that was him. It's like a... Right, it's true. That, I wrote that. I was like, does anybody even remember? Because yeah. he looks so different. He had a beard at the he, beginning. He's and totally transformed. And he's wearing his like hat and the suit and the way that he's carrying himself and the eye contact he makes. Oh, I have chills again thinking about this. And um, and whenever Daniel, he, when, uh, he snaps the picture and snaps him out of it. And we get that foreshadowing that this could be a way for him to escape this madness that there's still somebody inside that body. There's still some of his true self. And he's saying, get out, get out. So he has the title line. He's telling him he mm-hmm. freaks out. And, and he's then, the person who already went through what he's about yes. to go through. Right. Yes. And so. we as an audience think that, Oh, he's just having an aggressive moment. Is he the monster? What's happening? And, and also, I mean, you do think if you're on, on the plight of Chris, you're thinking this is a warning, man. This is a warning. Like we're, we're all right. We're all right. Can you see this? <laughs> Get out. The killer's in the house. Get out. Um, anyways, I think he's a phenomenal actor. I think he's utterly fantastic. And I want to see him in more things. Yeah. And I think so. One of the things that I wrote was like, how many people actually recognized Lakeith from the opening scene mm-hmm. to his to him reappearing in the movie? Mm-hmm. And I, that was a question I just had. I was I would like to ask audience members: Did you know that the guy at the beginning was Andre? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing missing in an affluent suburb, right at the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. The other one is about uh, Rodney. Wait, what's his name again? He's a comedian. You say Little Rel. Little Ralph. Yeah. Um, TSA. Getting those TSA tingles. TSA, which (laughs) I've read that um, Jordan Peele is a fan of TSA agents and he likes to present them in a positive light in his comedy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. He loves TSA agents. (laughs) So this is why this character is written as the the person who saves the day at the end. I mean, they're like, I mean, if you think about it, they're like DMV workers Mm -hmm. like they're so fed up that's what jim said they've seen so (laughs) much bullshit and they're so over it they know you don't want to be there either like i bet they have nothing better i mean i I just feel like i would spend my entire day being like how am i gonna fuck with you (laughs) so they they, in the they're people who see a lot who deal with a lot um but i realized that rodney little real ralph little ralph (laughs) Wait, I don't know what his name is. <laughs> Lil, Lil Rel, R-E-L. Little Rel. Um, <laughs> his character in this movie is reflective of the, of the audience. Mm-hmm. He's the audience, meaning when he's at the police station, he reflects the audience trying to figure out what's going on in the movie at this point. He tries to like, okay, wait, I think this is going on. Right. And... Um, well, and this also incorporates the use of technology in the movie. Of um, He's calling his friend. Because, I mean, you know, in many horror movies, if, if you're in a strange situation, you're just like, oh, I'm going to call my BFF. Or, like, I'd be texting you constantly. Or or Melissa would be like, okay, this is feeling strange. You're just like, okay, just met the mom. She's a fucking weirdo. You would always be in contact with your friend. So I do like that that is a sense of normalcy and this very, um, I don't know, it's like, 
there's such a blend of realistic elements of societal elements mm-hmm. and then we have the fantastic sci-fi um plot points that play which is a weird thing body to say <laughs> yes i'm just like body swapping Night of the living dead. so so yeah it's kind of you know freaky friday <laughs> yes which is also i mean this is the whole um vibe of the movie of of that's the whole vibe of casual racism you're like this is so fucking wrong this is blatantly wrong but yet it's normalized it's you know, you, you see this behavior all the all the time, and instead of calling out people as you should, a lot of people condone it or share that theory, or they do a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, or they don't say anything. But there there is something to be said of you know, you see women walking down something. a street and they cross the street if a black man's coming at them, or you know, or they grab their their purse a little tightly, like that's racism. That's a prejudiced move to to do, and and we just think of that as quote unquote normal in our society, and that's a big fucking problem. Anyways. That is a big fucking problem. So Rodney, the character, yes. little Rel, um, here's the genius of his presence in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think he represents the audience, and specifically the black audience. If you've ever been to a horror movie with a black audience, they talk back to the movie. This mm. is very normal. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact... Well, Jordan um, Peele Jordan, has said this, yes. Jordan Peele said that he well, part of the title came from what black audiences say when they're watching a movie about white people in a horror movie. Yeah. They say, get out. Yeah. <laughs> you walk in. He, he, did you just read the same thing where he's like, oh, yeah, this same, came out right? of the fact where they're watching Poltergeist and if you're a black person, you will not be in that house. Yeah. No, he, Eddie Murphy had this whole bit and I think it was Delirious that Jordan mm-hmm. Peele has quoted. Which just, is the inspiration for this yeah, movie, yes. Because it's just yeah. like, oh, baby, I love this house. It's so great. And then somebody's like, get out of here. Okay, baby, sorry, we can't stay. Gotta go. Whereas, Let's go. Okay. Whereas some of us, you know, dumb white bitches would be like, but it's like 100000 below asking price. It's, uh, it's great. And the school's like, I mean... I, I totally Which, understand the instinct because we are not faced in immediate danger constantly as a society, as a, as a, a white because culture. Of the privilege, exactly, of the privilege. exactly. Yeah. And then if you're a, a race that has been constantly threatened, decade after decade, century after century, you could like danger fuck this. You don't need yeah, to. you're like I'm not, I'm not staying here. So, so I think. His entire commentary, which is really funny, and he ad-libbed a lot of his lines. Mm-hmm. He's um, so funny. Speaks to the fact that when a black person watches a horror movie, they see it very differently because of their experience. They wouldn't walk into the situations. They wouldn't go into the basement. Whereas yeah. you constantly see the white people. Oh, why are they doing this? Because they don't. They've never felt a sense exactly. of danger in their lives, so they can walk into the basement like it's nothing. This is what the title get out means get out means black people know to get the fuck out of the haunted house mm. white people in their privileged minds don't know because they don't know what it is to be oppressed they don't know what it is to be in exactly danger. exactly so and, and we're not and talking surface my, of just like oh you had a rough childhood so you know like you know the streets yeah, and whatever. yeah no, it's, it's, it's not more that like a space it's, a space mm-hmm. walking into a space mm-hmm. i don't Yes, white people go through terrible things as well. Oh, but I'm no, no, no. I am like, not defending in any way or form. I just think that what this movie is hammering home, because I feel like for the longest time, white people thought that that's what it means of just like, oh, I'm from the suburbs. I don't know what a gunshot is. Like, no, no, no. It's true. You can, you can quote unquote have hood status, but you don't. You never do because of what you just said. It's, exactly. it, it is transgenerational and you are not discriminated just because of the color of your skin you are not immediately negatively treated for just existing pretty much so i i I think a lot of white people think it's just like oh but no i had it hard i did this and it's like true cool you had your own story but it does not and will never compare to this history what you're to what this specific thing is talking about um so another thing i wanted to come about was the scene between Rodney and Allison, mm-hmm. aka Rose. I wrote down her character name, Rose. Well, can we talk about the entire last name situation? I didn't know that this was a oh, Lovecraft. Yeah. Yes. Did not know it was Lovecraft Country, another Jordan Peele joint. Yeah. It's so awesome. I didn't I know that it was a throwback to this horribly racist author. 
an incredibly <laughs> groundbreaking, influential horror author that Jordan Peele actually loves, who happens to be the most horrifically racist person. How heartbreaking times. must have that been? Um, how, how heartbreaking? Like you're like, I love your stories. I love your stories. Oh wait, you hate people like me? <laughs> I would. I, I mean, it's, that must but it's, just. But it's I, the I don't know. irony. It's interesting because I mean. I don't know if you want to get into this. If you've seen, have you seen all the episodes? Are you caught up? No, I'm Lovecraft not caught up because so much happens episode to episode. I have to like digest it. It's, it's it would a be movie. a disservice. Every episode is a movie. You know, but it's its own movie. Yeah, it's so good. it would be a disservice it's to binge so it. And I, I'm in binge culture, and I'm like, I'm going to watch all of this. And no, there's just so much to unpack. I love the fact that okay, I'm walking into the world again, but I have no idea what's going to happen this week. So mm-hmm. there's like an element of the episodic mixed in with the serial. Yeah, completely. Um, and I feel like it works. Oh, and I watched an um, episode immediately after rewatching Get Out last night. And oh my God, it's just plain as a day that the themes are... Pro- it's, it's a wonderful companion piece. I highly recommend watching Get Out and then a couple of episodes of Lovecraft Country. It's it's a really good double feature if you want to get into it. It's so good. But it's anyways, so wait, good. let's get back to Get Out. Let's let's get back to this. So I was about so Allison and Ronnie Mel. and Allison, yeah. which I think, um, or Rose, which is when they talk to each other on the phone. Oh. And they're kind of playing each other, uh-huh. right? And he's like, I'm going to record you. And he like says, well, let me go. And he's just and this, this whole double thing. And as an audience, an audience member, you're like, I'm here for this. Like, yeah, you record her. Like, you're savvy. You get this. And then she manipulates just like manip- her mama manipulates. Like, they're just uh, stone cold bitches. They know how to I'm work gonna, the system. I'm going to throw this in there. But I was like, is Allison Ivanka Trump? That's where my mind went to. You know, it's not far off. It is what it is. God, I know. Um, But but that scene is so genius because uh, one of the things that the actress was talking about is that she was she needs to play. Jordan Peele explained her: you have to play two roles. You have to play the psychopath and the the person that you you're pretending to be mm-hmm. really well. And in that scene, she has to do both at the same time. She has to talk like the other version that we've come to know. Well, and, because it goes into white these, feminism. It goes into yeah. like, you have to fit my narrative. Like, I'm cool with you, but you gotta make this work for me as well. But then she has to, when she's saying those lines, she has to stand like the sociopath. Mm-hmm. No emotion, mm-hmm. Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. I am saying this performance. So she was playing that, that was the most difficult scene because she's performing as the other role while not moving almost. Mm-hmm. Just very and, stoic, yeah. Which creates the chilling effect. Which of, is again, amazing directing from Jordan Peele. It's amazing because as an audience member, you do have to have an element of empathy in order to be on board with this movie. On board with her. And, and she said, my movie whole, you have to believe that they're in love. Yeah. The first half of the movie. Yeah. Before the reveal. You have to believe it. Otherwise, this movie does not work. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those scenes that plays to that. Right. You still have to believe that the voice sounds like the person that was uh-huh. in love with Chris right. to Rodney. But when you see her, that's completely opposite. And that's the most terrifying aspect of, of racism. Well, a person tells you that they empathize with you. That they uh-huh. love your music, that they love Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah. You know, all those and they would comments vote for Obama the third term if they could. Obama. And but their actions aren't matching. Yeah. There's something else is really going on, yeah. right? There's, this, a There's sense an ulterior of, motive. So, which comes finally, guys, the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> My big point. So, the whole thing is that these white people, they think that by possessing the body, it's not just about acquiring the physical aspects of being black. It's about acquiring the depth of the black experience, the humanity, the emotions, the artistry. Mm-hmm. So, and this goes back to the being John Malkovich reference, being a passenger, an audience member inside someone else's uh, vessel or body. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a scene in being John Malkovich where Cameron Diaz goes into the body of John Malkovich and has sex or a sexual encounter with Catherine Keener. 
and she I realizes find the seeing John Malkovich of, comparison really interesting because it's like no, but, it's, it's a rich white guy. <laughs> and, but Cameron Diaz as a but woman. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with, I'm 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 interested in this theory. You remember this, right? Cameron uh-huh, Diaz. Yeah, I remember. Becomes John Malkovich, has sex with Catherine Keener, and realizes she's essentially transgender because she loves being a man with mm-hmm. Catherine Keener. Well, yeah. And so. Do you remember this sequence when she comes out and she has an orgasm? She's like, oh right, God, and her life has changed. Ever. She's like, she's been living right. her life all wrong because she's, you know, realized who but she is. But you can apply this to, okay, she's ex- the, ex- the experience of being the privileged white male, right? Mm-hmm. So this can be, you can have a feminist reading about this. You could have all these readings about this experience of inhabiting the body of a white male while being a white woman. Mm-hmm. But so. Here's the big twist. There is a line at the coagula sequence. This is when, um, you know what the coagula sequence, when he's watching of that course. video. <laughs> I, I, I sorry, I, I wrote, in my, I just choked on my cider. <laughs> no, I, I almost did a spit take on my mic. So I wrote in my notes, video will Brewster's million style, 80s rich white man trope. Yes, yes. <laughs> Because it was such a thing in the 80s, like in Greedy and Brewster's, like, I kind of want to leave a Brewster's Millions will of just like, hi, welcome to this tape. If you're watching this, I must be dead. But here's the interesting path that you're going to go on. This is affecting you because of this. And it's always like this shoddy, weird 80s dynasty style thing. And they had like a font, a computer font at the end Mm -hmm. that said like the house of... I think it's maybe before and after when you see the the art dealer guy who's going to basically Stephen Root, yeah, his body. and he says um, he he mentions like what's going to go down and that he wants his eyes. And yes, so and, that line. Yes, that's yes, that's what I want to talk about too. Let's do it. He says he explains that he doesn't want just his body. He mm-hmm. says what I want is deeper. And this is where I get very, this is what we do in academia, right? Mm-hmm. Overanalyze a word. He says, what I want is deeper. I want your eye, man. Hmm. And I mean, and that struck me. And I was like, he, he didn't say I want your eyes, plural. He said, I want your eye, man. Okay. To me, this doesn't necessarily refer to the organ of the eye itself, which you could think, oh, he wants to see. He's blind. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the obvious answer. Right. He wants the eyes of a person who can see. Right. Right? But no. He wants the way Chris sees the world. He wants his artistic vision. He doesn't just wants to see. He wants to appropriate... Um, Chris's perspective as a black man photographer, which is something he could never have yeah, as a white he man. He doesn't have the depth to do that, for sure. What I got from that tape, I, I got that super differently. I got more of like the existence as a passenger thing when he was just like, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to be here with me somewhat. Like I'm here and you're here. We're in this together, but just so you know, I own this body. So to me, not only did I take that you're, you know, you're always going to be a passenger as just an acknowledgement of the system will always treat you like you are a second class citizen, which is like the obvious. I took this as a possession movie about mm-hmm. slavery. It's just like it's they're slaves again. It's re-slavery. <laughs> it's just like but okay. But here's the irony of this movie. So this guy wants Chris's eye meaning his artistic eye. This is impossible. There is no way he can have Chris's eye as an artist without actually owning his consciousness. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is a complete failed project. Mm. He, he thinks by owning his body and his physical eyes, he'll actually understand the way Chris sees the world, meaning as an oppressed black person, mm-hmm. the pain of his mother's death. The way he takes photographs in the movie. Yeah, these are not his experiences. He can only try to There's, understand them, but he's, he's never going to have that doubt. He's for, never yeah. going to have that. In fact, he's saying you'll be removed, mm-hmm. right? You'll be a passenger and I'm going to embody my that. appropriation of your body, right? Yeah. But he, what he really wants is to have his consciousness, the part that's removed. So well, to me, the part where the movie is kind of 
crazy. Well, to me, it it reminded me of like uh, Phil Spector and all these white music producers of the 60s that were like, here, Shirelles and Supremes, get on my side. They're like manufacturing all these black artists. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And they're just mm -hmm. like, I'm hit to the vibe, baby. You know, and they think that they're good with a a black audience and black crowd. I mean, and yeah, it's... (sighs) So here's the... Big twist. So the most terrifying thing in this movie about white privilege Mm -hmm. is the fact that they don't understand the lack of understanding, the simplicity of the more sublime aspects of life. So they're they're wanting this death that that comes with the black experience, right? Mm -hmm. Because they have because they have never experienced it themselves. Mm. This is the part where the movie kind of collapse. You can kind of go, go crazy thinking about the chicken and the egg. They want the experience of marginal marginalization mm-hmm. that the black people have experienced, which gives the oppressed community a deeper human experience mm-hmm. that fuels their talents as singers, writers, photographers, and filmmakers. Mm-hmm. So they want to have essentially what Jordan Peele has, right? Mm-hmm. Because he is Chris. He is Daniel Kaluuya in this movie. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to know what it is that you feel that makes you so talented mm. and so um, human and so able to express yes. all these feelings in your art. Yes. It's like, well, you have the secret sauce. Give it to me. Give and it to me. Past Yet experience. the people who caused all of this. Exactly. So you, you can't be the oppressor and the oppressed. Uh-huh. So the oppressor has become jealous of the oppressed experience that they've caused. And they now want well, to Well, this is why we that. have a society of Karens. We have Karens yeah. because of this. They're like, how dare you do this to me? Let me talk to a manager now. It's so weird because my experience with this movie now, and I think every time we'll watch it again, maybe this, this is why I think this movie will be a classic, the way The Exorcist Halloween It was cycle. an instant classic. The year it came out, people recognize this brilliance, which a lot of horror films do not. They, they gain... Not, yeah. And recognition then, a over lot time. of horror films do not get nominated for Oscars all across the board. Yeah, and people win an shit Oscar. on the horror film and genre, I mean, and the, it shouldn't be. The last movie is the next movie we'll be talking about, which is Silence of the Lambs yes. in 1991, who has won all the Oscars. And it's not that the Oscars are validation for what enduring art is, but mm-hmm. it's interesting interesting to point out that the biggest classics in horror or some of them not all of them exorcist silence of the lambs in this movie have been huge oscar nominated movies and contenders Mm -hmm. so um exorcist was nominated for like 10 oscars something ridiculous i don't Mm -hmm. even remember didn't win a single one i think maybe makeup um and then silence of the lambs came about 20 years later and swept the Oscars. And then we have Get Out about 30 years later, mm-hmm. nominated for almost everything and then won for screenplay. First black man to ever win for original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's w- funny. Oh, what are you going to say? Yes, I wanted uh, to ask you. No, the, the next year that Spike Lee Spike finally Lee won his Oscar finally. after Jordan Peele oh. won his Oscar well, good. for screenwriting. I, <laughs> I love that. Um, Question. Why do you think, I mean, you know, like you and I have both read Stephen King's Dance Macabre and how he briefly mentions that the horror genre is just shit on by quote unquote respectable in, like institutions and, you know, aka the Academy. Like, why do people just classify horror as gory and mindless and surface when really it's reflecting a society at the present time that should be viewed as fantasy slash documentary i think i mean okay so this is actually the main point of my whole academic career my academic side of a career is that this there's this genre that's been dismissed as juvenile Mm -hmm. constantly kind of looked at as trash Mm 
Mm-hmm. When at the end of the day, when time passes, you realize it's reflecting what's really going on. Yeah, it's a reflection of society. But is it is um, it the the present powers that be their denial that this happened? Like, okay, I get for the academy, there are a lot of older members, and they're all old and white, and they're just like, okay, get out. This is problematic. This is I don't know. Like I read several articles of just how these voters were just thinking, oh no, it causes too much too much discussion. I am like, no, the the lack of of representation is going to create the discussion. You guys need to fucking get with it. So that's a generational thing. But throughout history, people shit on horror movies. And I don't know why. I think it's because they are they find them repulsive because it's telling them the truth. Hmm. Okay. And so people are not ready for the truth at that moment. Gotcha. And it's also a very visceral genre. So you're experiencing things that you don't want to face mm-hmm. and it's forcing you to face them. So the people who love horror movies, this is where you can go to a horror convention and see this, are people who are very self-aware, who are not afraid to tackle the horrors in front of them, the really complicated, deep, dark horrors, not only about themselves as in their own personal experiences, They're but also about the They're always deep thinkers, in my opinion. I've got to say, like, 95% of the people that I meet that are horror fans are really intelligent and self-aware people. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying this because, like, <laughs> I'm one of them. Like, no, I, I meet several people that have a visceral reaction to horror. They're like, nope, can't do it, can't comprehend it, whatever. It doesn't mean that they're idiots. doesn't mean that they're dumb. I mean, it just means that they are not willing to face certain... Certain things. Yeah, yep. and that's totally fine. That's cool. I'm just saying that there are different genres of horror and different types of people, and I have found myself aligning with a lot more people that are deep thinkers that see a movie like a horror movie and they just don't see it for the scares. And hell, I mean, you and I have seen so many shitty horror movies. Sometimes it's fun just to go and like, see how bad a horror movie can be or some gore or whatever. But for the most part, it's just like, there are subtext going on and makes you think you're like, I don't know. I feel like it's a survival technique of, I know what's out there or what could be out there. And you know, I just want to educate myself a little bit about it. And I know, and I know that I could face it. So I think horror movies are the, to me, the best genre, the most, the smartest, most philosophical genre, because it's, I always say horror is my religion because it's the only place where you actually face the fact that we're all mortal. Mm. I mean, horror movies are about that. Ooh, I like that. So at the end of the day, huh. it's the most badass people, the people that are not afraid to confront the fact that we're mortal beings, mm-hmm. head on, mm-hmm. gory as fuck, scary as fuck this is the darkest thing that we have to face as living human beings the fact that we're going to die right and we could die horribly at if, if so it helps us it relieves the anxiety of living but mm-hmm. it also makes us kind of badass strong people that can yeah and, and i think very I, difficult things i think why so. it, it could have a resurgence during coronavirus i had a theory at the beginning of this year if horror is either going to take a dip or it's gonna explode after coronavirus. It's either like comedies are gonna be the big thing to help us escape, or horror is gonna be the thing to reflect of all the stuff we've gone through. And I, I really tend to mm. lean more towards the horror being the explosive genre next I year. Think, well, horror has been doing pretty well in the last three years, since Get Out, right? Yeah. Get Out was part of it. Uh-huh. Um, I think I read that that year 2017 was the highest grossing horror for of horror films right. of all time because right. we had it and a couple of other and movies. Annabelle, I don't remember Annabelle, the Annabelle. Home, I think that was the one. So ever since then we've had this kind of, you know, we had the Halloween um, legacy sequel in 2018 that mm-hmm. also grows a gazillion dollars. So With we're having, f- we're in a horror moment. We're in a moment. I'm loving um, it. But I think, you know, in a way horror always comes back and also, there's, I mean, the fact that Lovecraft Country, The Outsider, the Stephen King novel that mm-hmm. was adapted into an amazing mm-hmm. series. I think what's going to happen with COVID-19 is that horror is going to have depth, a depth that other people might have not realize that we know it's there. Mm-hmm. We've always known it's there, but it's going to become very much apparent. And I think we're going to get deep horror. And we're going to actually get the the recognition of horror 
that has been there haphazardly, you know, at the end of the day, Kathy Bates did win the Oscar for Best Actress from Missouri, mm-hmm. and Silence of the Lambs did sweep all. I'm sorry, four I was going to point categories. out your beautiful slurring. It sounded like you said Missouri, <laughs> like Kathy Bates Missouri. won in Missouri. <laughs> Missouri. Um, but you know, like there's been these moments, like in the early '90s, where all of a sudden horror was being recognized. You know, Anthony Hopkins. Um, Silence of the Lambs. That was around the yeah, same time. Yeah, and it's been a handful of people um, that have actually won trophies for these horror performances. And I'm gonna throw out there, super quick, my favorite movie of all fucking time. There will be blood. That yes, technically, to me, is a, horror film. is a horror film. And Daniel Day Lewis, because he's amazing, duh, won for that. Um. Anyways, flash forward to Rel knows. His guy's in trouble. Allison Williams is a sociopath. Um, He goes to the police station and tells the cops, and they're all minorities. So you kind of have this moment of hope, also in a horror movie element that I love so much, that they're they're like, okay, they're going to get this. They're going to help him. They laugh in his face, but I love that moment of hope, that brief, it kind of reminded me of, you know, at the end of most horror movies or slasher movies where you're like, oh, she killed him. She's got it. She's in the clear. And then you see the slow rise in the background of like, no, this motherfucker's going to live forever. So you're like, okay, he's on his own. He's on a mission. He has to save his friend. I have a quick note about um, when the brother, he has kind of like a, moment with each of the characters mm-hmm. like a final battle with each of the family members well so after he wakes up in the parlor room that's what you're getting to yes so so yeah after he wakes up and he comes out of the search where he was supposed to be um transformed mm-hmm. into the other guy into he the, kills yeah. bradley whitford first mm-hmm. who's wearing a mask which when did you see that scene where he puts <gasps> the surgical yes, mask on yes i'm like COVID 19 yeah. drama i got there too into your brain <laughs> right so like immediately i was like oh shit the white people are actually putting the masks on in this movie <laughs> conducting racist surgery uh. i guess when it benefits them it's okay <laughs> anyway um so that happens and he kills him with the deer right which is going back to yes. the symbol of the mother yeah and, and also i mean also whenever he wakes up in that chair and the deer is right in front of him i mean yeah the symbol the symbology is oh my god he realizes he's the deer he realizes right. that but all i could think is just like oh yeah black people are killed for sport all the fucking time in 2020 like it, it is a common occurrence but people are hunted for sport. It, it happens. And that's all I could think. And so it was so validating for him to kill him with the deer this time around. And I'm sure this is Jordan Peele's, you know, intent oh. the first time. But for me, as a white audience member, I was just like, yep, get him. Get him. <laughs> I mean, in a way, the climax of the movie is like, um, I don't know if we can, it's like a Tarantino revenge twist Right, that he kind of played within Django and then in Inglorious Bastards, but I feel like. What do you mean with a twist that that he actually so, gets away with it? No, no, the, the 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 revenge the revenge story, which Tarantino yeah. has done with women with right, people, and he's you know he's to the empower master them. of okay. revenge okay. of revenge of the minorities, right? Mm-hmm. So the Jewish people and Inglorious Bastards killing Hitler, the movie theater, right, right, right. Um, Django and Chain, um, but now I'm going kind of crazy and thinking about this. That, and maybe this is a controversial thing to say, but the Tarantino won for Django and Chain as a screenwriter before Spike Lee ever won an Oscar. It's kind of fucked up. Oh, it's very fucked. And up. I love Quentin Tarantino. I love we them all both. Love him. Yeah. But he's a white guy writing about minority experiences in this movie. When that. Deer goes into Bradley Whitford. Mm-hmm. You know, this is written by a black man who actually knows what's happening versus Quentin Tarantino fetishizing the experience of... Well, life. it must have felt good for both um, when they're just like, okay, at the end, all this repression, all this torture, like you as an audience member know the stakes are so high. It must feel good to write that scene of this symbol of evil getting his due. You know, exactly. so it is 
fucked up. But then again, I'm going to say, like, I mean, Tarantino has a great body of work. And then you have Jordan Peele, who, like, this is his feature film debut. And to me, I think it's so powerful to be uh, critically acclaimed and a commercial success and to be a black man and to bigger, own all this bigger than any Tarantino movie. Yeah, I mean this this was a this was a big honest, fucking deal. Quite honest, this was so huge. Here, I'm going to make this odd analogy. So Quentin Tarantino could be the equivalent of Bill Clinton. A lot of people call Bill Clinton True. the first black president. Oh, I like your comparison. I think this is really interesting. Okay, okay. and Jordan Peele is Obama. The black person is speaking for themselves, right? So there's nothing wrong. And he does a killer Obama. He does an amazing yes. Obama impression. Like, so it's, there's nothing wrong with the white person who's fighting for black people's livelihoods, right? Like the way Bill Clinton did in the '90s, and the way oh Quentin Tarantino constantly does with his films. Jackie Brown, one of my favorite films. Yeah, bringing Pam Greer back it's incredible so he's done this very earnestly very awesomely but there's one thing him doing it and then having jordan peele and i'm sure they love each other and they are obsessed with each yeah. other as filmmakers yeah um so one thing is seeing the ally doing it bringing you up uh -huh. right which tarantino has done all of his career with women with black people with mm -hmm. minorities mm -hmm. and then seeing um Jordan do it, right? I really that's dig right, this comparison. Spike Lee in the <laughs> middle because Spike Lee should have won that Oscar 20 years before. Oh. Right? In a way. But wait. Did, so are you saying that Spike is our Bernie Sanders in this <laughs> comparison? Yes. <laughs> like he like, knows I've what's up the entire the time. time. <laughs> <laughs> and you've ignored me that I'm here and I'm not. No, but it makes sense. And you guys sense. will come like, back you, to me and be like, oh yeah, you knew. You knew. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so let's fun. let's go to the ending of this okay, because yes. so yeah, was, there's that fight scene and Jonathan Tucker wannabe fights him. The chokehold happens. He kills the him. The chokehold happens. The jujitsu moment, and he's like, whatever. And he kills him. So he has his payoffs, very well written payoffs with each family. And smashing member. the teacup with Catherine. Very important thing that I noticed. Okay. They don't show the violence towards Catherine Keener. Yes. Mm -hmm. respectful mm -hmm. violence towards women right in that moment i thought it was very significant that mm -hmm. for a movie that's very violent in its denouements or its climax mm -hmm. he decides to cut away from the violence against Catherine here mm -hmm. um where she doesn't do that with um bradley whitford mm -hmm. or caleb londy jones or allison at the end and why do you think that is? Because I, I have my theories and I'm very intrigued with yours. It, I think he thought it would be more powerful not to show it, to have the audience imagine it, number okay. one. Mm -hmm. Also, it's demeaning towards women to see them physically harmed in that way, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Also, he's saving the the confrontation with Allison at the end. He doesn't want to give it away. So there's three things going on there. If he shows the violence towards Catherine, he kind of kills the violence to come at the end where he's trying to choke Allison um, mm -hmm. on, the, on the floor in front of, right, right before the end. Mm -hmm. So he's like, by not showing it, he's saving it for later. Okay. Even though it doesn't, he doesn't really kill her, which is very significant. All these details are very significant. Mm -hmm. um, so there's also, she, in a way, Catherine Keener is the biggest villain for me of the movie. Oh. Because she's the most, least overt. The silent villain. The, the silent villain. Mm -hmm. I think in a way, Allison is the overt villain because she has that twist where she becomes like, crazy psychopath mm -hmm. she's also the person that he had a relationship with mm -hmm. he's the person closest to him emotionally um with all these other people he just met for the first time he's been in a relationship with her for the longest so she's really the biggest um, obstacle for mm -hmm. chris but i always thought it was interesting that they don't show her death they cut away from it and the gore, the gory part, I right? which would have been a payoff. We'd have been like, oh, we hate her so much. Yeah, it's just so like the evil. son got it, the father got it. Like, here we go to Catherine and then Allison. So I, okay. I, 
I agree with you a little bit on the Allison thing, like saving it a little to the end to the biggest payoff of, you know, killing this thing that you trusted, um, which there, there's two endings to this movie. Did you see them both? Yes. Okay. I know, yes. Okay. Yes, I okay. Great. So, so there's, well, he's well, dealing with a lot of complicated, and this is, I'm an editor, so this is all editorial choices. Right. I'm sure he shot the death of Catherine Keener. He just decided not to well, show so it. Well, so this is why I think, um, though, I think that he didn't show this and ultimately did not choose the alternate ending where he strangles Allison with his bare hands. He kills her. And the... And he gets arrested. And right? he gets arrested. Yeah, the, yeah. And he goes to jail. And we know what prisons do to black men. I mean, it's just such an unfair institution. And it's um, almost like a psycho ending, a reverse psycho, this other ending. Because um, my you, understanding of it is that he gets arrested, she's dead. The friend ties, there's nothing he can do. He's going to be, he's the psycho. He's. Right, but uh, we know that he's not. Okay. Right? Okay. Well, yeah. So I, I feel I feel like with that ending, I feel it's dismal and it's sad. It's it's expected. It makes this movie too much of a reality. We need to have some hope. We need like a hero. Mm -hmm. We we need to have some hope that the system will change and it'll be different. Because the the alternate ending, he kills her. The cops come. They arrest him. We know what that means. Even though he was. Fairly, like, I mean, he, he was like, I'm sorry, not fairly. He was so mistreated. He is the victim. No matter what, we we know what happens to black men in this, this day and age. So what I was going to say, though, about Catherine and Allison, about why he did not shoot their deaths on screen, I think he didn't shoot this because in our culture, it is almost expected it's almost an image that a lot of racists have at least you know growing up in georgia we were reading you know to kill a mockingbird and native son richard wright you know all these great pieces of literature where they do enforce the imagery of people mm -hmm. are afraid of black men because they attack and rape the white women the white women that is instilled and racism. So he was like, we can't show No, this. and he's like, no, I don't want That's that image. It's expected. The, the like, fuck yeah. that. He had this, you see this struggle on his face. Like, he's a kind person. And no matter what, society will beat him down again and again. He has every right to kill this bitch. Every right. But because he is a good and moral just person, he is not going to do that. And I thought that was way more powerful than, then, yeah. than ending up in jail and being kind of like the sad ending that probably would have happened. Because also when those sirens hit, when they're outside and they're doing that final act and he saves Betty Gabriel and we realize that she's the grandma, she attacks him so viciously in the car and he he's absolved of his sin because in his head, his character journey, he has saved this representation of his mother. That's what I got. Mm -hmm. like, no, no, I, I think this is the, the beauty of this film. Mm -hmm. So the reason he saves her is because he's still dealing with what happened with his He's working mother. out his trauma and he's, he's working um, that out. And then so when he puts her in the car, it's like, it's his mother. Yeah. But he doesn't realize that he's actually putting a white woman exactly. in his car. And she viciously well, attacks him and he doesn't kill her. Racist. He doesn't he kill her. Allison kills her technically like she shoots at them That's and the car true. crashes so she dies allison's still shooting in her dumb rich white girl riding outfit with the perfect winchester rifle and whatever and so whenever they're in that car wreck and she's shooting at him and you expect him to kind of kill her because like as an audience member you're like yeah she fucking deserves this you see his moral dilemma his struggle and then you see the sirens on him and i think that scene bookends so beautifully whenever the sirens are on him like the the police lights the sirens you're gasping because you're like oh my god our hero is fucked and you would not think that if you did not align with the theory that racism is very prominent in our country it's the same reason why in that opening scene you know when they hit the deer and you're like really anxious and apprehensive and you're like why nothing has happened he's just meeting this girl's parents in the the country at the end the police show up and you're like, oh, it's all over for him. It's over. And you expect that alternate ending of him being thrown in jail. And well, apparently one ending would be that he gets shot. 
Oh, I didn't know she, about that. Which is one. what would really happen. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. he didn't want to do that ending, but it's really what would really. It happen. really would have happened. Yeah, yeah, for sure, it would have. And honestly, would have with Jonathan Tucker wannabe. Whenever he put him in a chokehold in that one scene, I was like, oh, that's hitting way differently. I mean, that's. <sighs> the real ending is that he would get shot. I, hmm. I think Jordan Peele said this. He that's not the ending. The it's not the alternate ending. He never wanted to do that ending. But hmm. when you really think about it, that's. What would yeah, really happen? he would have been shot. Yeah, I he agree with shot. that. Um, and that's it. So, get out in the Donatella Versace voice. Get out. Final thoughts, G. My final thoughts is that this movie is an essay on racism that is complex, deeply layered. We will be rediscovering this movie for the decades and hundred the next hundred years. Mm-hmm. I think this movie stands alongside films like The Exorcist and Psycho and Halloween and mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, There's great. only a few movies who shift the narrative mm-hmm. of horror. This mm-hmm. is one of them. It changes the game. And it references all of them. Yeah. So, And I forgot to even bring up like the Catherine Keener when we were discussing the Silence of the, the Lambs moment. Like between she and, and him, whenever he's like being put in the sunken place, it is very uh, pro quid pro. Yes, and actually, Jordan Peele has admitted that Silence of the Lambs was the biggest influence on that scene. Oh. In fact, he's referencing it. Really? Yeah. I didn't know so, that. So, it, oh, which is why I love his reference points for this entire movie are the best horror movies of all time. The opening is Halloween. Mm-hmm. That scene, to him, it was a Clarice uh, Anthony Hopkins scene. Mm-hmm. Um, he has The Exorcist in there. He has... Invasion of the Body Snatchers in there. He mm-hmm. has Night of the Living Dead, the first movie to feature a black African-American actor as the lead who survives. In the 1968, in the middle of the civil rights um, and everything that was going on that year. Mm-hmm. So he is aware of, his, of the history of the best horror movies and he borrows from them but then completely creates something very personal, very much his own, very much of the moment, pushes the boundaries of the genre forward. I mean, this is do you, one of Do the you think this movies. is... I feel like he created a subgenre. Do you believe that he created a subgenre, or is, he, is there a black horror category that has always been there but not as popular? I think he brought... That's a good question. Um, I don't think it's a subgenre. I think this is one of the masterpieces of horror that brings something that was there to begin with. Mm-hmm. The marginalization of, of, of black people in horror mm-hmm. has been a topic of discussion, has been in, in and out of the genre from the beginning. Mm-hmm. The same way that the marginalization of sexualities has been in there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, and I'm going to kind of do a little trailer for if I do continue being an academic, which I'm not sure I'm going to do that. My book, my next book will be about the fact that how come horror always attracts marginalized people such as (laughs) women, Latinos and black people, yet Mm. we rarely get represented in them the right way, meaning horror movies built on the on the murders of women. Right. Then on the lack of representation, mm-hmm. somehow movies have become about, the horror movies have become about women taking over, controlling their narrative, mm-hmm. being the badasses. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen Ripley, we've seen Sidney Prescott, mm-hmm. we now see Laurie Strode as a 60-year-old woman taking over her narrative. We now see Jordan Peele bringing black people into narrative and so forth. I still haven't seen the Latino twist, but that's what I'm going to try. Yeah, to do. you do it. <laughs> you do it. But <laughs> one of the things that I loved about horror was that I felt represented even when I wasn't in the movie because my feelings as a marginalized person were represented. Right. And that's coming out. I mean, this and is what refreshing. West Raven did. Yeah. It's refreshing. It's nice. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to us in this masterpiece of Get Out. 
we are, um, we're trying to be better people. We're trying to listen to the conversation. All right. That's it. Last call. Bye.